welcome to Avoid the Big Podcast, the NFL Draft Recap. Today we have the privilege of being joined by Dan Rivera. We recap the NFL Draft, recount the winning weekend, and identify what it means moving forward. Dan and I each give our favorite division winner prop and identify the teams to play or fade under the atypical and shortened offseason. During the pod, I mentioned Philadelphia minus 2.5 at home against the Dallas Cowboys having good value, especially if it's early in the season. Because the line suggests that Dallas is the better team than Philly on a neutral, which it's not. What I failed to consider until after the fact was that the standard home field advantages need to be reevaluated due to the teams potentially playing in empty arenas. I still certainly lean Philadelphia minus 2.5, but until we get more information, I will not be firing on it. Also, a quick plug to the website, avoidthevig.com. We have a ton of articles on the fundamentals of sports betting, particularly on the NFL, and also some higher-level thought processes to consider during the sports betting season. Go to avoidthevig.com, click on Betting 101 to access our foundational principles and betting strategies. And now, the Avoid the Vig podcast, NFL Recap with Dan Rivera. All right, we're welcoming Dan Rivera again back to the Avoid the Vig podcast. Welcome, Dan. How are you? I'm really, really good, Steve. How are you doing? Not too bad, man. Last time we spoke, there was breaking news that Rob Gronkowski uh, was interested in coming back and playing football. And obviously, since then, he has joined the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And incredibly, and it's almost as if we planned it this way, there is equally breaking news that I think is very significant. Uh, Jay Cutler and Kristen Cavalieri are breaking up and they are going to divorce after 10 years. Number one, are you shocked by this? Number two, what are the implications on the NFL that Jay Cutler and Kristen Cavallari are divorcing? One, I don't think, I'm not remotely surprised because I know Jay Cutler, his problem was he was very moody. Like, if he'd watch games, the camera that always panned him on the sidelines, he just looked very disinterested. Two, I don't think there's any ramifications at all. <laughs> Maybe some player gets lucky, if you guys know what I mean, but other than that, it doesn't affect anything. So, did you ever watch Laguna Beach? By the way, when I uh, thought about doing this pod, we were discussing it, I did not think about bringing up Laguna Beach, but did you watch Laguna Beach on MTV back in the day? I did watch an episode or two when I was younger. I thought I was really dumb, but it was a really popular show when I was in high school, and that was back in like 2010, 2011 area. I, I was an LC person, uh, for for one, uh, more so than Kristen Cavallari, but good for Jay Cutler for at least 10 years of happiness on that front. Uh, speaking of happiness, how about this NFL draft? How did you do this past weekend? I did fantastic. I had a couple best blues I was kind of upset about, which we'll get here in a minute. But if I remember correctly, I gave out that Michael Pittman Jr. pop. I'm like, hey, guys, we're looking for a long shot. Take a look for the cold. And when that hit, I almost threw my phone out of pure excitement. So I had a fantastic payday. It was one of my probably better days in the last year or so because we lost a lot of sports to do due to the coronavirus. But I had a great day. There were some props you and I definitely should have loaded up on. I know, I believe, what was it, last Tuesday because it's all big blur to me anymore. You gave out that moss prop of, hey, guys, this moss prop doesn't make any sense. And he goes undrafted. I do wish I loaded up on that prop so much more because we were getting the third round. When I saw that, I'm like, man, he's not going round three. But uh, overall, that is one of my favorite days in quite some time. I was, the Super Bowl was very, very profitable for me. And Friday, uh, the Thursday night draft was by far the most profitable gambling day I've ever had. I had a, a ton of bets involved. Uh, I made more money than I had in any particular day. It was probably the best weekend overall that I've had in uh, my sports betting career. Uh, it just was great. I, I had a lot of money out, a lot of good uh, options. I got in early. 
I can tell you the start of the draft didn't go the way I wanted to, and I think we're going to get here in a second, so I'm not going to go too much into that. Uh, but after, I'd say the first like 10 picks, I really turned it around, and there was just some mispricing. I mean, that, that Moss that you mentioned, it was over 93 and a half, and there was a lot of talk about him and Ballyhoo because of the fact that he was given a camera to be shown on him when he got drafted uh, because he is Randy Moss's son. There was nobody else that was screaming that this guy should be drafted in the third round, which is what the line suggested. Him going undrafted was incredible. There was a few different lines like that. My biggest one that I, I had on was Patrick Queen over 19 and a half. Uh, he ended up going to the Baltimore Ravens. I hit on that. It, overall, it, it was the most profitable day that I had. I had a blast with it. Obviously, when you win money, you're going to have a great time. But also, it was just sports on TV. And it was just something that was not... Uh, replay of a game that we previously seen. So for me, just sitting down for literally three days straight and just absorbing that in and kind of getting back to what I would have done previously to all this coronavirus stuff instead of being locked in my house, this is what I would have done anyway. So it was the most normal experience for me, even if the TV cameras and the setup and the production of it was a little something different. You know, what, what did you think about that aspect of it and how they actually did it with the boxes on the screen, almost like around the horn feel, and, and the cameras being in the people's houses? Did you enjoy that? Before I get into that, man, Twitter was so fun on Thursday and Friday. I could see everybody's reaction, like, how could this team do that? Or how you see all some guys fall. But the interesting part is, when we recorded our last podcast last Tuesday, all the tweets and rumors coming out were, yeah, that's not going to go well. They got a lot of technical issues. And if you look at these cameras, I didn't see any issues. My biggest complaint was ESPN constantly bringing up doom and gloom about these kids. I'm like, man, ESPN, really? You guys got nothing else about? But I thought the product itself was fantastic. Twitter was fun. It was awesome to sit on my couch and just watch live sports again because I had no idea what was going to happen in the draft. You know, you mentioned one of the things was the doom and gloom aspect of that. There was a lot of talk about that on Twitter and just people, I guess, upset. It was almost overly done. And, you know, I saw somebody request, uh, you know, did you have a neighbor that may have died when you were young? And we're going to do a production about that. And uh, that aspect did bother me a little bit. It was interesting and see where these players come from. It almost humanizes them. But under the circumstances of the environment that we're in, considering all the people that are sick with the coronavirus, I, we almost felt like it, it shouldn't have been so focused on such melancholy in that respect. Uh, another thing that bothered me a little bit is I know Kuiper is the godfather of the draft, but I would have liked a little bit more Daniel Jeremiah. I like his personality. I like the way that he presents. He's funny. Where Kuiper is very rigid and he doesn't bring any humor, I feel like Daniel Jeremiah was a little bit more fun. Did you feel the same way with that? Yeah, so with Todd Machete going down with the coronavirus, they picked the, probably the worst replacement for him. Not in the sense that Dino Jeremiah is bad. In the sense that Dino Jeremiah is, best way to put it, like a, a kingpin in this situation. This guy knows his stuff. You can pretty much ask him any question. He'll give you a full breakdown of any prospect. So that's bad for Todd McShay. So I like watching Daniel Jeremiah. He's been at this for the last, probably quite some time now. I've really gotten into him the last four or five years when I started getting big into the draft. But I thought you should get Daniel Jeremiah on there. He's just that good, and that was not an outlier. He knows his stuff. So let's get back to the actual draft here. What would you have done from a, a gambling aspect, before we actually get into who drafted what, the winners and losers, all that stuff, from a gambling aspect, what would you do differently if you can go back in time and, and approach the draft? The big thing I would probably do is, I texted you that I probably should have started later, but I'm going to flip on that now. I think I should have started earlier. 
Because you, I know you mentioned already, there were some bad, and I mean bad lines out there. There was prospects who were off by about 10 to 15 spots if you got in early enough. And that created great value. Like, I know C.J. Henderson, for the longest time, was 16 and a half. Toward the end there, it's like, yeah, he's pretty much going to go top 10. You talked to Moss Prop a bit where he's projected third round. You guys jump quickly. You got a fantastic number. The QBs falling, again, those were in the mid-40s or late round two, depending on who you bet on. So I would probably start earlier and maybe a little on some props some more. For example, I had a Justin Jefferson prop for T. Higgins. I should have loaded up on that so much more. I hit it at 190, and I was like, you shouldn't get that again. But unfortunately, I passed. So ultimately, just start earlier and just load up on plays I think that, that are that bad. Because you very well know, Steve, that the NFL draft is very information-driven. Well, the books aren't that good. They just take the information you get and I get. Well, if you and I find a different information source, we can really take advantage of that. All right, the draft had, obviously, the winners and the losers. There are certain teams that you feel just knocked it out of the park. Why don't you give us a list of some of those teams? Yeah, so I'm not big into the draft grades. Like, I know a lot of websites, like, hey, this team got an A, this team got a C. I look at more of the fact of what happened, who was there, and what could you have done. I thought some of the winners were the Vikings. We know that team had a lot more holes coming into the draft than you would think. They got a nice corner who fits the Mike Zimmer scheme. I thought it was a little rich round one, but this was a very weak corner class, and the Vikings would have moved up significantly get a good corner. They got Justin Jefferson, and if everybody remembers correctly, he was gone by pick 21 by a lot of the mocks. I thought the pass did really well. They said, we're not going to take QB. They're all known Jared Stim. Bill Belichick wants to play defense here. You know, go with the offense of, hey, just don't lose us the game. My defense will figure it out. I thought the Niners did it well, did really well. The reports were that eventually leaked out when this pick was made for pick 14 with Javon Kinlaw. That was the Niners' number one guy. I think he's going to be a really good player. He feels a big need, and I think he's that good. They also took Brandon Ayuk, the wide receiver out of Arizona State. I know there was an article written showing that Kyle Shanahan did not like certain physical traits or wide receiver. So Jerry Judy was never going to go to the Niners, according to this article. And lastly, I thought the Cowboys hit it out of the park. They got a dream scenario of CeeDee Lamb just falling them to 17. Every single mock had all those three big wide receivers gone by pick 15. They got the nice offensive lineman out of Wisconsin. They got Diggs. My biggest concern for the Cowboys is they did have a good draft. But, unfortunately, there's a lot of rookies out there filling big holes. How about on the other end of the spectrum, and this is my favorite part of the conversation. You know, we don't have to give grades to make fun of certain teams. How about your favorite Green Bay Packers? I know for a fact, for the listeners, I know Sleepy was very upset by their draft. I was texting him, and he was very, very mad, and that's a nice way to put it. For the listeners, Steve and I made a nice little word doc outline here, and I wrote down biggest losers, LOL Packers by a long shot. And I'm not joking. The Packers had by far the worst draft. They took Jordan Love. They didn't take Jordan Love. They moved up to get Jordan Love, which was already in reach to begin with. I wasn't very high on Jordan Love. I think he had too many inaccuracies. And those second, third-round picks, my God, man. Matt LaFleur... And the reports were saying Matt LaFleur wants to go back to that exact smash-mouth football because apparently we're stuck in the 1990s, I guess. And the funny part was Warren Sharp was putting out there when Matt LaFleur ran that offense, the exact smash-mouth that one year he did at Tennessee, that offense was actually more inefficient the year during that year than the year after and the year prior. So it was actually a really terrible thing. 
They drafted A.J. A- Dillon, I believe that's his name, the Boston College running back in the second round, and a lot of people had him in the seventh round or just straight up undrafted. A.J. Dillon would have been good 20 years ago. He's, he can't catch, which is a big problem in 2020 football. So uh, Packers, by a long shot. How about your Chicago Bears here, staying in the division? Oh, I, I, I almost threw my phone out there, second round pick. <laughs> That Cole Komet pick was ridiculous to me. And that ended up, that ended up being 43, 43 right? And a half, and yeah. I, you know, I'm so bitter about that because I love that pick a lot. So with the Bears, they had, I believe, seven or eight, and I'm not joking on that, seven or eight tight ends already on the roster. And I don't understand they took a tight end with their second-round pick, and there was a lot of value there at pick 43. There was a lot of guys they could have filled holes with. And Komet would have probably been there round three with relative ease. I absolutely did not like that pick. I thought they massively overreached, especially for a position with that many people already on the roster. They needed offensive line help. There was some good interior offensive line picks there. The offensive tackles were still there in Josh Jones and Ezra Cleveland. I thought the Bears didn't do well with their first, second-round pick. And then I was blown away in that second pick with them in the second round where they took Jalen Johnson, the cornerback, who had some injuries concerns, but he's a good player. So I know for a fact... They can draft well. I just don't understand that commit pick at all. Now, I'm going to jump in here. I want to grab some Philadelphia Eagles, and I may be on an island here. Some of the reports that I've seen have suggested that they had a decent draft, and I'm not going to go past the the second round here. I'm going to stick with the first two picks, Jalen Rager and Jalen Hurts. Uh, I don't know if it was a name thing that they felt compelled to take these two individuals uh, or what is going on. Rager is an undersized. uh, He's Apparently his game film says that he's fast, but when he actually runs and people time him, he is not. So I'm not exactly sure how that works. Uh, on top of that, he's undersized, and he doesn't catch the ball very well. His hands aren't the number one uh, thing about him that it's, it's going for him. And if you're an Eagle fan, you know the last couple of years, uh, I don't have to give you any other example besides Nelson Aguilar, these players that they've had cannot catch the ball. So if you're going to get a receiver, why not get a receiver that has exceptional hands that can uh, give Wentz some help? Now, speaking of Wentz some help, you have a second-round pick, tons of talent on the board, they take at 53, Jalen Hurts. Now, I know there's a lot of conversation about Taysom Hill, and the whole NFL seems to be enamored. This has been successfully done by one franchise, who Sean Payton is a mastermind. And he so happens to have this one guy that can do something like almost like a Swiss Army knife, play multiple positions and do it well. No one else has been able to do this. And if that's what Philadelphia is trying to do to use both of these players, Hurts and Wentz, at the same time, it's a terrible idea. Because here's an opportunity right now where we're going to have a shortened offseason. The Giants have a new coach. Dallas has a new coach. Washington has a new coach. And you are the only team in the division that does not have a new coach, that you don't really need the offseason as much as the other teams do. And you're taking a quarterback and the second round, it is such a terrible idea. Even if he ends up being the quarterback of the future, now you're putting pressure on Wentz now. And that's not what you should be doing. You should be building up his confidence. I understand he's brittle, and I understand he gets hurt all the time. I completely and utterly respect that. So if you want to bring a backup in, do so. It shouldn't be the second round pick for Jalen Hurts. I just, I don't see it. I don't see the value of it. I don't understand why you would do it from a Philadelphia perspective. And I think it really does hurt them in in the division when they have an opportunity to capitalize on that. Now, when we talk about all these winners and losers, you know, maybe the win total moves a half a game. You know, you're not going to go a, a full game. You're not going to go two, two games. So there's a lot of overreaction to it. So I don't want to say this is reason to bet 
under on the Philadelphia Eagles or anything in that uh, respect. In fact, I think Philadelphia is probably going to win the division and probably should win the division. I just think from a managerial position, when you are trying to win a Super Bowl and you have such a, it seems like the stars have aligned this year for the Eagles, I don't understand why you would do it. Now, I am a Giant fan, and and that is full disclosure to me. Actually, right by my house is a road called Route 72. And Route 72, if you live south of 72, you're supposedly an Eagle fan. Thank God, I literally grew up 100 yards north of it, so I'm a Giant fan. I got to experience four Super Bowls, and I find myself very lucky in that respect. I actually think the Giants had a good draft. They they had a lot of needs. They have a ton of needs. And I don't think that the, the draft itself filled all of those needs. So I am a big proponent of best player available. I also would like to merge those two whenever possible. Their first round pick, Andrew Thomas, is a, a, a left tackle by trade. He started off on the right side and ended up going to the left side in Georgia. He gave up eight sacks in his career for Georgia, which is pretty impressive. And, you know, he's the only true left tackle in the draft of the top four people. So yeah, personally, I would have wanted them to go for Wills or Werfs, but I'm not a talent evaluator. I listen to a whole bunch of different uh, people's opinion, and I, I choose my own in that respect. So for me, Andrew Thomas at one was not a terrible pick. I actually thought it was going to be a good thing because Nate Solder is not the answer. I don't care what the question is. He is not the answer, and we shouldn't be using him to block for Daniel Jones because Daniel Jones will have a Derek Carr, uh, David Carr career if that's going to be the case. In the second round, they had a uh, Xavier McKinney drop him, which I thought was fantastic. Uh, he is going to be a starter from day one. He can do a little bit of everything. And the reason why his stock dropped from everything that I've been able to, to read and ascertain is that his 40 time wasn't that good. He was a 4-6. He had cramps going right before the 40. So if you're factoring that in and he runs a 4-5, uh, you know, which is ridiculous that we're going a uh, tenth of a second here. But if he's running a 4-5, there is no way he makes it out of the first round. So I thought the top of the Giants draft was great. Uh, the the tackle in the third round, I understand some concern there. It, it's a project, but honestly, right now, the Giants are not going to win anyway. So why not go for those developmental projects that are going to make them better? What are your thoughts on the NFC East here with the Philadelphia Eagles stinking it up and the Giants actually having a solid draft? For the Eagles, that Jalen Hurts pick was them saying, hey guys, Carson Wentz can't stay healthy. He hasn't played a full season in three of the last four years, I believe. I know last year was relatively unlucky with that BS headshot by J.J. and Clowney with the concussion. But Carson Wentz can't stay healthy. That was the Eagles acknowledging we need a guy who's going to be able to play for us. But the problem with Jalen Hurts was his ability to read and recognize his defense and do more than one read. So in the NFL, we all know it gets much faster and much tighter windows. But Jalen Hurts can't read and react. He's just going to take off and run. I think the Taysom Hill comparison is really, really dumb. I think that's more of a media, just them pushing it. I, it's just a bad comparison. But you can get ahead on that. If they're going for a Taysom Hill-type package, what is that, eight plays a game max? Maybe he catches one or two touchdowns. But I don't buy the Taysom Hill. I think that's more of a, we need a guy who's going to be a potential starter that's good enough to win us a couple of games this year for Carson Wentz. Because if, if they would have beat the Seahawks last year, Carson Wentz didn't get knocked out. But for the... For the Giants, I was so ready to come on this pod today and bash them, but I thought they had a really good draft for the first few rounds. They, you mentioned Andrew Thomas. They told us not the answer. They just need to cut him and just take the dead cap hit. We need to figure out if Daniel Jones is the real deal. I'm not there high on him right now, but it was his rookie year last year. But he needs some help. That offensive line wasn't that good in terms of the tackles. And with a good left tackle like Andrew Thomas, 
he was the most left tackle ready coming out of the draft out of the big four guys. In the sense, if you don't have an offseason, and I'm not sure if we're going to have one yet, I'd still relatively in the air. But being a guy who's ready to go day one with very little no practice, Andrew Thomas was the guy. And that Xavier McKinney pick falling to him, that was his first round value right there falling to him. They need some defensive help. I still don't think his defense can be that good. But when a player like that, who a lot of scouts raved about, that was a great pick falling to them. So I like what they did. So those are the teams that are in my backyard, your backyard, and your Michael Pittman's team, the Indianapolis Colts. What's your thoughts here? They didn't have a first-round pick, but they seem to have a pretty good draft. I don't know that the fourth fucking guy is pretty good from what I've been told. But the funny part was that 13th pick, they were going to trade down no matter what. If they didn't get the fourth Buckner, defensive tackle was a position of need, and you get an all-pro-ready guy who I think is going to be fine on the Colts. And if not, like I said, they're just going to trade down that pick. That Michael Pittman Jr., I hope you guys got on it with us at 22-1. to 1. I mentioned it on the Sleepy Day pod. I know I mentioned Pittman Jr. here, I believe, at 13-1, so that offered us some true value. And I was ecstatic when they took him. They got a big physical receiver who, in terms of his measurable compared to Michael Thomas, which I think if you get a guy that's 70 to 80% of Michael Thomas and not two, that's an absolute great pick. I was very surprised when they moved up for Jonathan Taylor because Bowden has never moved up in the first three rounds. He's very adamant about getting more picks. Is which is the umbrella I fall under. If you really don't love the guy there, you always trade down. I think Jonathan Taylor is going to be nice on the offensive lineman. The Colts don't have any good running backs, not for this year, but for two years from now, because Marlon Mack was, a, I believe, a fifth-round pick or a non-round one, so he doesn't have the fifth-year option. They had Jonathan Wilkes and Naheem Hines. Uh, some of those guys got injured and were kind of questionable. I, I was a bit surprised by that, but I was ecstatic for the Pittman pick. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm impressed with the general managers that navigate the draft, either trading back and then trading back up after they collected assets. Uh, Indianapolis obviously moved up for the running back, and when you have Phillip Rivers really on a one-year deal, I mean, he is, he's going to be here for, with you for one year. You saw Eli Manning's precipitous decline. Uh, Phillip Rivers has declined as well, and uh, Roethlisberger all in the same draft. So I think it's a win-now situation. So getting that running back who is – you know, very good. Taylor's was fantastic. Uh, it, it's a good shot by them. Uh, you know, on the flip side of that, the Giants do not trade at all. They don't trade up. They don't trade down. Uh, I'm, I don't really like the passive uh, drafting style. I like the teams that are more aggressive. You see that with New England. They they move all over the board. They have a ton of different assets to make sure they have an opportunity to do that and get the person they truly love. Uh, so that is something that I look for in a general manager, but no one is asking me. Now, you said that you had Pittman 22 to 1. Is that the biggest long shot? I think you beat me in long shots. Is that the longest odds that you had? Yeah, that was, yeah, yeah, that was the longest shot I've ever had, that one. I had some other long shots on the draft. Like, I had a... When the rumors were flying that the Dolphins would share the number three pick for offensive linemen, I was telling that was an actual rumor. But 22 to 1, that was my best long shot. I put a few bucks down. I should have loaded up more, especially because as we got closer and closer, it seems like it was going to be Pittman or T. Higgins. But that 22 to 1, that's the long shot I've ever had when I had a nice little payday there. I had Clyde Edwards Lair at 20 to 1, the first running back. So that is the closest I got to you. However, <laughs> I cannot eclipse uh, your 22 to 1 there. That's pretty impressive. Uh, you mentioned the Lions, man. A ton of rumors that came out. I know we're jumping back to the start of the draft here, but were they taking a a, a, 
uh, linemen, which linemen were they going to take? Which quarterback were they going to take? Were they going to trade up? Were they going to stay where they are? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm talking about the Miami Dolphins putting everything out. And that did not come to fruition. The Lions, on the other hand, they, they were looking for a trading partner. The Giants were looking for a trading partner. I think by most mock dra- drafts had uh, Akuda going to the Lions. But there was not really a whole lot of action there. There was no one really to trade down with. Is How did that impact the draft for you? And what's your, what's your thoughts on that? I was surprised the Lions didn't trade down because it, I, I, it was a foregone conclusion that the Lions were going to trade down, and reportedly it was the Dolphins were just putting smoke screens out. Good for them because I bet hard on them because it seemed real. But if you're the Lions and you're a couple of days out from the draft, you know the Dolphins are saying they want to trade up, they want to trade up. How can the Lions ever put out like saying, "Hey guys, we don't have anything official yet"? If you're the Lions, you screw that pick up because you know both the GM and the coach are relatively on the hot seat. They got a cornerback. You replaced the cornerback they just lost. And then in terms of a rookie versus a veteran, it was kind of a downgrade. I think Okuda can be good, but he's not going to be better than Darius Slayton in the first year. So I don't know why the Lions didn't maximize that pick. I think they totally screwed up. Somebody would have traded up if they would have put it out eventually. But you've had two weeks to get that whole thing set up. I don't feel bad for the Lions. They screwed it up. Well, that's the type of organization they are. Matt Patricia is a dead man walking. He's looked terrible since he got there. And I hope this is not a... Uh, it seems the Bill Belichick disciples don't do anything. And I hope that's wrong for the Giants. They now have Joe Judge. I like the things that he's saying and, and what, he, what he's doing. Uh, but Matt Patricia seemed out of his league that he was not a head coach for the NFL. And, and he failed the Detroit Lions. I'm not saying that he's the only one to blame there. Uh, but that, that whole organization is a, a complete disaster. Um, the Dolphins, the, the smoke screens, uh, I, I, they had me believing literally everything. Everybody w- was all over them and, and what they were going to do and who they were going to take. And it, we said on the, on the pod last week, it, it, it would have been the best smoke screen if they actually stayed where they were and took Tua. And that's exactly what they did. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. When I saw the rumor to move up to number three at offensive tackle. I sent a screenshot to you, I believe. I'm like, all right, this isn't true. And then everybody was putting it out there. I'm like, wow, this is actually going to happen, possibly. And I got a nice 66-1 to shot at Judge Quills because if we're going to move up and take offensive tackle, one, it was going to be dumb. Two, Giants are believed to take Judge Quills. So if you're in up to Giants, you would take Wills and a nice little ticket there. I put a few bucks down on those offensive linemen just because they were offering – 66 to 1, 30 to 1 to be the third overall pick. But Dolphins, those two fantastic smoke screens, did a great job working the media this year. I did as well. I sprinkled some on uh, just a variety of different options here when that rumor came out. Thankfully, I didn't load up on it, uh, but it was enough to set me back a little bit early in the draft, like I mentioned previously, and uh, I was able to overcome that. So, with the draft now over, we're now moving towards how this impacts the rest of the NFL season if we have one. The division winners, I asked you at the start of this to pick one division winner from the NFL in each conference and decide what you liked uh, according to the odds. In the NFC, you chose the Philadelphia Eagles to win plus 135 on DraftKings. Why, what went into that decision? Well, Football Outsiders does a great job of with their analytics and metrics. One metric I really like is their adjusted games loss articles. And in case nobody doesn't know what that is, they just look at the number of games you've had people being injured. Well, the Eagles were number 21 in adjusted games lost, and that's a metric that's relatively unstable year to year, meaning if you're really good one year, more than likely you're going to be bad, and vice versa. 
So the Eagles are a little bit lower on the lower end. You have two bad teams in the Giants and the Redskins with their new coaching staff, and their QBs are kind of ugh right now. Dallas, only real set, but I don't buy into them. They have a new coaching staff. They got a lot of rookies filling their holes. But yes, I did say they had a great job, but when you have that many rookies filling that many key positions, it's going to take some time to develop. And you mentioned it before. Philly is in a dream scenario with these two bad teams in the division. The Cowboys filling a lot of holes. I'm not very high on Dak. I, he's just so very ugh, number 20 territory to me. And lastly, the Dallas was very healthy last year. They were number four in the football outsiders at just game loss metric. I think they're going to come down this year. I, I, and at plus 135, not to cut you off, Steve, by yeah. accident, but at plus 135, I think that should be much lower. And a lot of other shops have that lower shot. Plus 135, I'll gladly make a bet on that. I actually love this play. This was my second choice if I had to choose one. I, I as I mentioned earlier, the Giants are not going to compete this year. They're not going to be above a, a 500 team. That's not going to get you the division. Neither is the Redskins. They're going to be awful as well. And then you're basically going against Dallas. And Dallas has a new coach. They have a quarterback that does not have a new contract that maybe his focus is elsewhere. They're not going to have time to practice. Although they did very well in the draft, that doesn't necessarily correlate, especially in year one, to having a good year. So I am 100% on board with you. Plus, plus money, you can't go wrong there. That just seems crazy to me. Uh, the NFC South is where I'm going. Uh, so much talk about TB, uh, Tampa Bay and Tom Brady. Uh, Brady can't figure out what house to walk into. Uh, he, he's calling all his friends back from New England. Uh, Rob Gronkowski is back. So there's so much talk about it and so much public attention on Tampa Bay right now. They are getting all these assets, and Winston had all the turnovers, and if he didn't have the turnovers, what would they be last year? The defense started off awful, but as the year progressed, it did get better, and that is all true, and I don't disagree with any of those questions. However... When it's a, a public team, that is something that I'm looking to uh, fade. And right now, there, there's never been more public attention on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers than there are right now. And New Orleans Saints, they only had a couple draft picks. I think they ended up with four. I think they traded back in at set, uh, in the seventh round to grab somebody. But they only had a, a few draft picks, so there's not a lot of talk about them. Uh, they just have Drew Brees at quarterback. They've had him forever. Uh, Sean Payton is the quarter, uh, the coach. He's been there forever. There's not a lot of conversation about the New Orleans Saints. They are even money right now to win the division. They were 13-3 and the last two seasons. They are all in right now for Drew Brees because they don't know how much time left they have. He has been a failure in the playoffs. I'm not saying that's his fault, but the team has been a failure. Maybe that's a better way to say it. However, in the regular season, 13-3. and If they, let's say, give back 11 wins... Tampa Bay is not winning 11 wins. They're not getting to 11 wins to win this division. It's just not happening. And Tampa Bay, you know, granted they have maybe the best quarterback ever. I would say yes, they have the best quarterback ever that is in the twilight of his career. His numbers have gone down each and every year in the last few years here. He does not have Bill Belichick, and we'll see how big of a deal that is. It is significant, though. You cannot deny that, that he's been comfortable in New England. They've had a, a consistent system, and now he's going with Bruce Arians down to Tampa. We don't know what that's, what that's going to look like, and there doesn't seem to be a, a whole big offseason here for them to figure it out. So even if they do figure it out, it'll probably be towards the second half of the year, and, and at that point, I think the damage is done. I think the Saints are going to build a lead. I think if they can get to 11 wins, they win the division. They've won it the last 13 wins the last two years. So for me, this seems like a slam dunk at even money. Uh, I'm going with the New Orleans Saints, plus 100. I did not bet it yet. However, once this is over, I, I probably will do so. And before we move on from that, I, I think we need to have this quick discussion. 
The NFL season, I'm a little bit concerned about because of the coronavirus. I have not placed a ton of bets, and we're going to talk about some of the bets I have placed in a second. But I am a little bit concerned about the league not counting or win totals not counting. Have you had any concern about that before we move to the AFC here? Have you given any thought to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you in the sense that I have not really placed any. I do think we're going to have a full season, but as we record this in late April, if you miss one game... Regardless of the reason, your season win total just went out the total, went out the window. So if you have a nice little under, and all of a sudden now they don't play one game, that ticket just well, you get your money back. So that is a concern to me. So I probably won't be hitting hard this year. And you just have to wait so long for the season win totals. I know some people probably listen to this probably don't place any money or little money on it just because you have to have to hold it. But that coronavirus is concerning to me. But if you're looking to bet against teams. With the coronavirus affecting them, I know both you and I are looking for teams who have a lot of rookies, a lot of new coaches without a lot of practice time, especially that first month because they don't have anything to prepare for. Um, real quick, and I want to get your thoughts on the Saints before we move off it. You may have noticed I did not mention Atlanta and Carolina. That's because I don't care about them. Uh, Atlanta is going to be 8-8. Eight and eight. They, they are a dumpster fire over there. I have no idea how that coach still has his job. And, and Matt Rule may turn it around in Carolina. They went seven straight uh, defensive players. I think the first time in, in the common era that a team has gone seven straight defensive picks. Uh, and I, I think that they're going to be good down the road. I actually like him as a coach. However, they're going to be terrible this year. They, they're not going to have more than six wins. So it, it does not even factor into my analysis when I, when I say the Saints. Do, what's your thoughts between those two, the Saints and Tampa Bay? Do you like it at plus money? Is it something that you would stay away from? I like it at plus money. I'll probably run a pin to myself after this pod. But you mentioned it, Carolina and Atlanta, yeah, they're not factors. Tampa Bay is very public right now. They're not going to have much practice. And the Saints, during mock drafts, I could not figure out they were going to take. I just put a question mark because this team doesn't have any holes. I want a team with the same QB coach. They return a lot of their players. And this, they fit the bill. That plus money, I like this bet a lot to win the division. And you mentioned it. If the Saints go, let's say 11 and 5, for the Bucks to win the division, they have to go at least 11 to 12 wins. And I think the Bucks are closer to 10 and 6, maybe 9 and 7 if they have a few bad games. But you're just asking the Bucks to win too many games. They're a franchise who doesn't have the media spotlight on them, so it's going to be new zone. I, plus money, I really like this bet. I am moving over to the AFC North here. I'm going to take, and this is pretty much a, a, a no-brainer for me, the Baltimore Ravens minus 180. I don't like laying the, the odds of minus 180, but I this is a slam dunk to me. Cincinnati is not going to compete. They they got Joe Burrow, and I think he's going to be a good quarterback, but that's irrelevant for this year, especially uh, with going into a new system in this type of offseason like we mentioned a thousand times. Cleveland has been a disaster. Can they turn around? I, I I'm not a, a believer in the quarterback. So if you don't have a quarterback, I don't care. Uh, Pittsburgh, same situation here. They have a, a good coach. They were able to manufacture some good wins last year. Ben Roethlisberger is coming back. If you have seen a picture of Ben Roethlisberger recently, you probably know why I like Baltimore minus 180. He looks about 180 pounds overweight right now, and he doesn't look like he's anywhere near game shape. I know he plays heavy, and that's just the way his body is built, and he's been successful. But when you look at Eli Manning, like I mentioned earlier, and uh, Phillip Rivers, neither one of these two quarterbacks are competing at the same level they did previously. Is Ben Roethlisberger an upgrade over the quarterbacks they put on the field last year after he got hurt? Absolutely. 
but he's a year older and, and, and coming off of an injury. So I actually like his production even less. Baltimore only had maybe the best draft in, in the league. And I'm just going to go through, not that I think Mel Kuyper is the best. I'm not saying he is. In fact, I would argue he's not even my top five of people that I trust with the draft. However, let's take a look at their, their draft real quick. They have J.K. Dobbins at number 55. Uh, he was 27th on, on Mel Kuyper's board. 71, they had Justin Matabuke. He was 42. Devin du- Duvernay, 92, they drafted him. He was 64. Then their next pick was 98. Kuyper had it at 74. And their last pick was 106, and they got him at 80. Uh, Kuyper had him at 83. Not to mention they had Patrick uh, Queen that they picked up. And although I had over 19 and a half, and it was the biggest bet I had of the draft, it, it he's a good player. And this is exactly the type of team that the Ravens are building. They need a, a running game to be successful. They have that in J.K. Dobbins. Would I have liked them to pick up a wide receiver a little bit early in the draft? Maybe. But Devin Duvernay is not a bad player at all. And to get him at 92 is a steal at, at that point of the draft. They are a good team. Lamar Jackson still figuring it out. Do I think some teams in the division can start figuring out the, the complex... Um, just different style that they're running with John Harbaugh over there? Yeah, possibly. But they're still the best team, and it's not really particularly close for me. So I'm going to take Baltimore Ravens minus 180 to win the AFC North. What say you? One, that was the one that came up to my mind when you asked me the question of picking an NFC and AFC team in the division. I like to bet. For anybody who can't get minus 180, I'm seeing a minus 200 right now, I believe, on DraftKings. But I like that bet a lot. The J.K. Dobbins pick makes really sense to me there. I know a lot of people in the analytics community hate the running backs, but the Ravens are the most unique team right now. They're very reliant on the run, so I like to pick a lot. You get a fresh back. Mark Ingram's getting over. It keeps Lamar Jackson, keeps the ball out of his hands. That way he doesn't get hurt. Just a lot of value here in terms of the Ravens. They want to run it, like you mentioned. But I like the minus 180. I would play the minus 180 here. Your Colts hometown hero right here is your pick for the AFC. Why? One, I wanted something different from the Ravens just to make it more interesting for the listeners. And two, they got a QB he's good enough. Yes, River had some issues last year, but he's good enough to win the division. I think to win the division, you only need to go 10-6. and six. Colts play third in the division, so they'll get the third-place AFC teams. So that helps them out a lot, rather than the Texans and Titans will play much more difficult opponents in that retrospect. And lastly, when you look at strength of schedule, the best metric to use is using season win totals. The Colts play a bottom five strength of schedule. Jaguars, well, the Jaguars are the Jaguars, and they just suck. I don't buy the tight ends and Texans. Defense isn't very good. I don't trust their offense at all. So I think they probably go four and two. If they get lucky, maybe five and one in division. But I think getting to 10 wins for them isn't asking a lot. And at plus 155, I think it should be lower. I'll lay the money at the plus 155 money. I, I do like this. If you asked me for the uh, to pick the Colts in two years, I probably wouldn't like it as much because of the quarterback situation. But right here at plus 155, that's a pretty good take on right there. I'd jump on that with you for sure. Now, you mentioned previously that you didn't bet a lot of futures coming up, and I don't blame you. You know, We don't know what's going to happen right now. But there's a couple that I have played that I want to put out there, some of which are still available, some are not. Uh, Want to want to get your thoughts on it? I did take KC literally directly after the Super Bowl, and this is such a a homer, uh, not a homer pick, but this is such a, a public play that I made. I took KC to win the Super Bowl at plus seven hundred right now. Not necessarily because I think that they're going to win back to back, but I think that there's going to be hedging opportunities later. 
it, the market is set at plus 600. What is your take on KC's chances of winning the Super Bowl for next year? I think it's difficult for any team to win back-to-back Super Bowls. Well, I don't make back-to-back Super Bowls unless your name's the Patriots. At plus 700, you mentioned it. It's a very public play. It creates great hedging opportunities, especially if they're like 13-3 this year. you got a great chance just ahead. I don't play Super Bowl markets just because there's so much randomness and so much that goes into it that at 7-1 still, I think it should still be higher. But if you're going to hedge here, this is a great team to hedge because a lot of people are going to want the ticket. So this particular play is not available anymore. I'm going to ask the flip side of it, should I be taking the over? When news broke that Tom Brady was going to Tampa, I immediately got online and I bet New England under 10.5. In that market, I, I saw it was at 9.5, which seems very high to me on DraftKings. I've seen it at 9. I know there were some places that were shaded to the under on that. Is this an opportunity that we should be taking the over at 9 here for New England for a nice little middle opportunity and some uh, creating less exposure for me? I don't have a strong opinion. I would say I can go both ways here. I got nothing strong. I would still lean to the under, me personally, just because I don't trust that offense right now. They don't have any good wide receivers. They got two new tight ends. Their running back situation is whatever. Their defense is going to be the defense, but I would still lean under. But again, nothing very strong. Now, my next play here is the biggest bet that I've made on a particular team or game ever, and I'm very concerned that we're not going to get all 16 games and it's going to be voided. I have Jacksonville under 6.5. Right now, the market settled at, at, at 5, and to be honest, I don't even think they're going to win 5 games. I would still bet under 5 if I didn't have any action on this. Jacksonville under 6.5, or let's even just say the market price right now at, at 5. At six and a half, you still didn't get enough money down. That's a ridiculous number. Because for you to lose that, they'd have to win seven. They're not winning seven games. At a season one total of five, I would still like the under. This has got one, two, three. If they're really, really lucky, they somehow win four games. You got a dead coach walking. You got a dead GM walking. They got Gardner Minshew, who I was very, not very into. He just had a few couple good games. Other than that, the team isn't very good. At five, I would still let, I would take the money and go under. But at yeah, year six and a half, you still don't have enough money down. I would be very concerned about the coronavirus, though. I had a free bet that was about to expire, and I took it on Patrick Mahomes under 4,649 and a half passing yards. And, you know, it's tough to quantify that number and, and still so far out and obviously it could be voided. So I'm not even sure how that would impact my free bet here if I'd get it back or if I just lose that altogether. But in 2019, he played 14 games. He had 4,000. In 2018, he did have 5,000 yards passing, which was absolutely incredible when he played all 16 games. Here, a couple things about Patrick Mahomes. Number one, I think he is the best quarterback in the game right now. He may have had the best season ever in the last couple years here. And I'm not saying he's the best quarterback of all times because of the duration that he's played, but the height at which he's playing the game right now is transcendental. And uh, it would lead everyone to think the over, which is why I like the under. <laughs> you know, the market in other different places were at 4,400. I was just under 4,500 at, at, I think, a couple different shops. To get it at 46 is a little bit of an outlier, so maybe I'm cheating here a little bit. Uh, but Kuiper gave their draft a C. Uh, four of the six picks that they had were defenders. Uh, if you blindly fade the rushing total, uh, oh, by the, I'm going to talk about that in a second, but Mahomes, 
I don't, they know what he can do. They know that he could take him to the playoffs. They know they could take it to win a Super Bowl on his back. And if you don't have him for the playoffs, then it's irrelevant. You know, no matter who you bring in for, from Patrick Mahomes, you're not winning the Super Bowl. The most important thing for Patrick Mahomes is his health, not his passing yards, not the regular season wins. It's to get him out of the regular season healthy. So for that respect, I think that they're going to try to rely on the run game. Another good indication that they're going to rely on the uh, run game is that the 32nd pick in the first round, the Kansas City Chiefs took Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And, you know, he does a little bit of everything. He catches the ball out of the backfield. He can he can run in between the tackles. He can run outside. But I think that they want to run the ball uh, with more consistency, with more effort. And I think defensively that they want to play a little stronger so they didn't have to put so much pressure on Patrick Mahomes. So for all those reasons, because I'm fading the public, I like under Patrick Mahomes 4,649.5 yards on Fox Bet. Did I get the right side of it? Yeah. Just in case all the Matt geniuses listening right now, at 4,650 yards roughly, that's 291 yards per game. You mentioned it. This team wants to take care of Patrick Mahomes. We know he's good. I expect their Chiefs to be up in game, so they're not going to want to throw it there. They drafted Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at the 32nd pick, so they know they want to run it more. We know Patrick Mahomes can sling it. He's still going to have his big paydays in the sense that he's going to get probably 400 yards in the game. The world's going to explode with how good he is. But I would have to leave me under here or take me under at that number still. Just because you mentioned that they want to play defense. They don't want Mahomes to be carrying the team because it's a Super Bowl or bust now for them. You know, Patrick Mahomes, if you told him me that he got over 5,000 yards again, I would not be shocked. He has that kind of talent. I just don't think that they want to utilize him right now in that respect. In the playoffs, if they need to, absolutely. The other thing I really want to do, too, by the way, is blindly fade in the beginning of the year his rushing totals under. If you notice in the playoffs, his rushing game went considerably higher. He was effective. He ran the ball. He crushed the rushing totals for each and every game. If you bet over, you were killing it. Um, Until the Super Bowl, actually. If you remember correctly, he was way over, and then he was taking those big uh, kneel downs, which uh, screwed betters, including myself, on just about every under that uh, over that I had on him. But he's not going to put himself at risk early in the year by running the ball himself. So whatever that is listed at, my my first instinct is to to fade it and go with the under. Uh, And and I never say blindly do anything, but that is certainly something that seems almost 100% blind fade in the beginning of the year. You're either playing the under on his rushing total in in the first game of the year, or you're staying away from it. Um, the other one that I'm considering is Rodgers under 4,000. We're going to say we're going to call it 4,100. 4,100 passing yards. It's on Fox Bet. It was the only I, I checked seven shops before I came on today, and it was the only shop that had him listed. And that's another one that everything to me screams Rodgers under. This past year, he had 4,002 yards passing, so they're expecting him to get better. Why? His receivers haven't gotten any better. He now has a quarterback that is sitting behind him that is probably infuriating him right now. And if you remember correctly, when McCarthy was in Green Bay, Rodgers was doing things purposefully to anger him. He was th- he has more throwaways, Rodgers, than anybody else in the NFL, and it's not even close. In the second round, they took A.J. Dillon, like you mentioned previously, that is a running back. And now that's three running backs, Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon in the same backfield. Why? Because they want to run the ball more. What does that do for Aaron Rodgers' passing total? Nothing. It's not going to help it. It's going to go under. 
with that history with McCarthy, now it's with LaFleur. LaFleur wants to bring in the rushing game. They're looking beyond this next season, which is going to infuriate Rodgers. And he seems like such a temperamental individual that I think this is really going to get under his skin. I think it's going to be an ugly year in Green Bay. And I think Rodgers under 4,100 yards is, is the play. I did not play it yet. I'm considering it. I wanted to hear what you said first. I like the under here. Quite a bit, actually. At 4,100 yards, you need about 252 yards per game. But you mentioned it. The wide receivers didn't get upgraded. <clears throat> Three, two, one. The wide receivers weren't upgraded. When Devontae Adams wasn't on the field and when he got hurt last year, man, Rodgers really struggled throwing to any uh, anybody else but Adams. They want to run that exotic smash mouth football for some odd reason. Maybe call me crazy for it. But under, I just don't see how it's going to go over here. Unless they're just in constant shootout after shootout after shootout. But I don't trust their wide receivers outside of Adams. I, they don't have a very good tight end, I believe. They drafted the UCLA kid, if I remember correctly, in the third round, which again was in a very big reach because he's projected to go in five. But I don't know who Rodgers can be throwing to to get over 4,100. You know, with the season long plays, I very rarely want to go over. If Rodgers gets hurt for a game or two or half the season, that, that total number is shot. This is not like the NFL season where they only calculated if he plays 16 games. If Rodgers plays 12 games, he's not hitting that over. So I always instinctually just want to bet the under anyway. And for me, Rodgers getting older. He could get injured. He may be in the point in his career, especially if they're out of the playoff race. If he gets even remotely injured, he may just shut it down to say, screw you to the, the organization. And that wouldn't shock me at all. So for me, I, I think the under 4,100 yards is probably something that I will be playing after this. Again, I don't want to put up a lot of money right now because I, I don't know how I feel about this NFL season, if we're even going to have it, that the future bets as it is, your money sits in their hands for the entire year, basically. You're, it's like nine months that they have it. I can make a baby in, in that time period, let alone uh, wait on this future play. So for me, I'd rather have the money in my account and, and look for more uh, you know, daily plays or something that's a little bit closer in line. But there is value with that, and I, I think I will take a little uh, play on that. Uh Look ahead lines, you know, moving forward, if you're looking for something, I want to fade teams with new coaches and QBs. We talked about that ad nauseum today. Uh, the other thing is, too, is it, it, right now the schedule isn't released. And I saw a look ahead line that had Dallas uh, at Philadelphia, and Philadelphia is minus 2.5 at home. Now, that's suggesting that Dallas is the better team. Now, they have a, a new coach there in Dallas. Uh, they have a, a lot of new players they're trying to integrate into the offense with an offseason that's not there. If Philadelphia is at home week one, week two, week three, and they are only laying two and a half points, I will be making a large, large wager on Philadelphia. So before that schedule breaks, and I believe the schedule is going to be released May 9th, I'm going to have my ducks in a row and try to, to isolate these opportunities where established teams like Philadelphia are going against a team that has a new coach like Dallas and try to find those discrepancies in the marketplace. Maybe they take down that number before the numbers uh, before the schedule is released. But if not, I am jumping all over that look ahead line of Philadelphia minus two and a half. You like that idea? Oh yeah, you mentioned it. You want these teams who are rel- relatively established versus teams who aren't. At two and a half, under that key number three, I'm personally still waiting for the schedule. I'm actually going with this, and I think as long as we have an NFL season, I think we don't have to worry about the coronavirus here, just because it's a divisional game. And if the NFL is going to be getting rid of games, it's not going to be for the division. It's going to be outside of your division. So as long as we have an NFL season, I think a two and a half is a great number here. I, I, I might even play it before 
the schedule's released just because it is, it's insinuating that Dallas is the better team, and that's not the case right now, especially if it happens early in the year, then forget about it. And you made a great point about the division game. Those are the ones that are 100% going to be played if there's going to be any season at all. If it's truncated, they'll still get those divisional games in. What plays are you looking for right now? Is there anything that you have your eye on that you haven't placed a bet on that you're considering? I'm considering that Philly bet you just mentioned because I, I think we're getting a season here, a full season, and if we don't, I think we're going to get that Dallas at Philly. I, I really want that Philly number two and a half. That's when I'd be looking to play. In terms of season-long plays, you mentioned it. I haven't played much just because I've been all in on the NFL draft, and I'm not a big fan of having my money be held for that long of time just because I can go make it up super quickly. But if you guys are looking for some stuff that I'm interested in, I'm looking to play the Jets over six and a half. They try to address some of the issues on the team. Sam Donald is not going to be missing games, and I think that's why the season win total is so low. You can take the over 6.5 at minus 110 for Jack King. Cowboys, I'm super down on them. Under 9.5, plus 120 on FanDuel. I'm kind of surprised at that plus number a bit. We know the Cowboys are a very public team. So when you take the Cowboys over for this bet, you need them to go double digits. And I think that's kind of asking a lot right now. And the books will know that, and they will adjust the over just because there's going to be so much public money. So I think it creates a value opportunity here. That's the two big ones I have looked at. But again, I haven't played anything official. So just looking at uh, Dallas the last three years, they've only eclipsed that number one time. Now, is Jason Garrett the problem? Maybe. We're going to find out because he's offensive coordinator for the Giants. But they went 9-7 in 2017. In 2018, they went 10-6. and Last year, they went 8-8. Eight and eight. So only one time did they eclipse nine and a half wins. And they have a new coach. And again, the same offseason that we're just talking about. And as much as I like the draft, I, 10 wins is asking a lot. You know, I can see them getting nine and seven. I'm not saying that. But 10 wins is a lot for this team. Uh, you know, maybe you're looking at the Redskins not being a good team. Maybe you're saying the Giants aren't good. Maybe they go three and one against those teams. So now you only need seven more. I, I don't know. I'm not buying it, especially at plus money. That would be certainly the way that I lean. I'd have to do some more research. And I think a lot of the things that we discussed here today, this is our starting point. This is the baseline of, of our handicap. And now you're diving into the numbers. We have a considerable amount of time to figure out what we want to do. I, I don't anticipate the markets changing dramatically at this point. Uh, I know some of the sharps probably will hit something up after these the draft itself. But ultimately, there's not a lot of, uh, of information to garner. Like I mentioned, you know, you're going at, at half game here or there. Maybe the player totals throughout the year. Maybe that's the kind of the market that we should be looking at more for the next podcast. Uh, but right now, you know, it's more doing the research and getting ready. Is there anything specifically that you're doing now? Are you focused on the NFL, NFC pre, uh, NFL preseason? Are you looking at the NBA draft? What What really are you doing now as a handicapper, as someone that bets on sports? What are you doing? And for the NBA draft, I'm glad you brought that up. That is also a very information-driven. If you get a head start on that, you guys are going to get some great lines. I know. I remember a couple of years ago, RJ and crew were on straight out of Vegas, and they were talking about, hey, this NBA player might go here. Then all, all of a sudden, a bunch of info leaked on that certain player, and you got a great line. So for the NBA draft, guys, start early. Hit the lines. I don't know when they're going to come out. I don't even know when the NBA draft is going to be because of the coronavirus. If the NBA starts in July... Well, the NBA draft can't be in July then all of a sudden because the draft man actually said. For the NFL, I'm waiting for that schedule, but I've definitely started the process of looking for certain metrics. For example, I know I've said this on this pod, football outsiders adjusted games lost. That has to do with health, and health is a very 
unstable metric year to year, the odds of you having two years in a row where you're very healthy or unhealthy are very unlikely. That's a great opportunity to make some bets. For example, the Jets, very, very unhealthy by that metric. They were dead last by about 30 games in that metric. I know a metric you guys should be looking out for, and maybe you can find some good info. And I'll tweet both these websites I'm looking at right now. I know 538 has the close games, and they define a close game as the last five minutes of the game where no team has a greater than 60% chance to win, i.e. coin flip games. If your team is winning or losing a bunch of coin flip games one year, most likely that's going to flip the following year, and you're going to average out over a two- to three-year sample size. Unless your name is Russell Wilson of the Seattle Seahawks, last year they kept winning close game, close game, close game. They almost made a two- or three-seed at the end there. But most teams aren't Russell Wilson, so... You're going to be looking to fade or bet on these teams who either won or lost a bunch of close games. Now, Dan, where can they find you on Twitter? Dan Rivera228 again, correct? That is correct. Again, guys, I put a lot of stuff on my Twitter feed, so if you get annoyed by that, turn off my retweets, please. But my goal with those retweets is to put stuff out that maybe you guys don't want to sit on Twitter all day. Maybe I find something you like. I follow a lot of analytics people, a lot of the draft coverage. Just a lot of sports stuff in general, so I try to put stuff on there so we get to get access quickly to. Again, I'm going to put these two websites I'm looking at right now for looking for the close games or the adjusted games loss. Now, we appreciate Dan coming on today. He's been absolutely killer on the NFL, the NFL draft. I know he's been on different podcasts before. He's a great follow at Dan Rivera228. You should be following him. Get those uh, those articles he puts out. Uh, I certainly follow him, and I take a lot of his retweets. It, it's, it's material for me to ingest and try to figure out what is the best play moving forward. Dan, thank you for coming on today, man. No problem. This was fun. Unfortunately, we don't have anything to do for about another month. So if you guys are looking to get ahead, this is a great opportunity to start getting ahead in some of these areas when sports do come back. All right, a huge thank you goes out to Dan Rivera for joining us on the pod today. Follow him at DanRivera228. Follow us at AvoidTheVig. Check out our website, AvoidTheVig.com, and make sure you keep listening to the Avoid the Vig podcast. Thank you, have a great day, avoid the vig, and beat the book. 